G'day everyone, welcome back to another episode of Spark Your Fire. Happy New Year to everyone, 2024 it is, so um, you know, another new year. I'm hoping everyone's done their goal settings and I'm sure Tom would have done his one by now. What did you, Tom? Absolutely. <laughs> Mate. I want, I want, I want, uh, I want push you to tell us what it is. But uh, <laughs> have you got a few property goals around this year? Just out of curiosity, get definitely your renovated, more building, uh, more acquisitions. We're uh, we're building our property and we're looking at moving in mid year. So that's a uh, hundred as far as property goals go. That's a hundred percent it. Want to move into the new place? Congratulations! I, I'm sure you know everyone can't wait uh, in terms of you moving in. So that's great. By the way, um, Tom Rivera from Property Works. Apologies for the informal introduction. You know you've always been a, a guest on our show already. So um, glad to bring you back on as basically the the number one guest on in 2024. And I guess one of the reasons that we bring you back on is because we do uh, I do think that this year will be an interesting year for Southeast Queensland. Um, late last year, you know, we're seeing Brisbane um, has had a significant growth from CoreLogic data as well. As a matter of fact, I think in December, the Brisbane median price has actually now exceeded Melbourne uh, median price, which is interesting, very, very interesting. And, you know, Tom, I think off, where, off air when we spoke about this, you were thinking that this is just, you know, you never, you never thought about this could happen. <laughs> but Absolutely. it is it is reality it's you guys are number two at the moment in terms of that medium price so any thoughts around that are you are you thinking this is crazy this is a crazy world that we're living in how can brisbane medium price take over melbourne medium price yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, I've sort of, I've known that Southeast Queensland has been outperforming the sort of Australia as a whole. I knew um, that markets were going up. I just didn't realise how close uh, Melbourne and Brisbane were. I keep a pretty good idea, uh, a pretty good um, eye on Sydney as Australia's market leader, but um, Melbourne sort of quietly seeded second place Um to us recently and I, i'm still a little bit in shock over that yvonne you guys only surpassed melbourne by a little bit at the moment okay mm. so don't be too happy too early there's still a lot of work that queenslanders still need to do to continue to keep that pace um but certainly from anecdotally from what i'm hearing is um unfortunately dan andrews who's resigned now as the ex-victorian uh, premier has had a few policies that was against property investors so there was a mass exodus of investors and you know, and um, hence the reason why uh, that market hasn't really taken off. But in contrast, the Southeast Queensland market has continued to gain property investors uh, from mm. what we've seen, right? So I think it's a good segue for us to chat about what's happening with the Southeast Queensland market at the moment. What are you seeing last year, towards late last year, from an investor activity perspective? Are investor activities picking up again? Are property investors buying? in southeast queensland and are they from the southern eastern seaboards or whereabouts are they from sydney melbourne what do you see yeah so if, if i if i step back a little bit further um investor activity to our eyes slowed down um just before the peak of the market before the interest rates started to to tip up yep. and then naturally when they tipped up obviously that was slowing things down mm -hmm. um I guess the, the the whole intention of interest rates increasing is to pull confidence from the market. Mm. Um, what we've seen is with the interest rates having held recently, um, some talk of it either sitting tight, 
maybe only small increases from here on in, more than likely probably seeing some reductions um, in the not too far future. A lot of confidence has come back to the market. We've seen some some incredible sales results. Um, I think, you know, a, a four bed low set brick in Crestmead now is a, a 700 grand plus proposition. Um, wow. Um, so as a, I use that as sort of an average modern house in the Logan area as a really wow. good litmus test. Um, I've seen probably in the last three months more investors getting in touch with me buying um, than I have in the year prior. Um, so that's that's a big one. I, I, I definitely getting the sense that there's more confidence. Um, people are starting to see the sort of the Olympics are on the foreseeable horizon, mm. um, and Southeast Queensland is the sort of a, it's it's happening. Um, and I know for a long time Brisbane, Southeast Queensland was seen as a a, a big country town. I think with the last few years, um, we're being seen as a, a legitimate capital city now. Yeah, I think you guys just being a, a bit of a, a sleeping giant, in honesty. Um, mm. You know, like when when everyone else is, you know, Melbourne's obviously working hard in terms of improving the prices and. You know, Brisbane is always that little brother to follow Melbourne after Melbourne had a surge, but uh, certainly in this case, Melbourne hasn't had much surge in the last. 12 to 18 months um, but Brisbane has been continuing to perform so far and it sounded like from what you're telling me um, so the investor activity kind of stayed flat as the interest rate starts going up and we're talking about this is now around June May June 2022 because don't forget yeah that's around the time when when RBA starts rising rates aggressively right 0.5 0.5 that kind of stuff from literally 0.1 percent of a cash rate all the way to now sitting at about 4.35% so far. So there's been about 4.25% of the cash rate increase in the last, I don't know, a year and a half, let's put it that way. Um, but yeah, I, I certainly agree with you. I think there's a lot of sentiment and confidence being coming back because of the fact that investors are now seeing a light at the end of the tunnel in terms of the cash rate rises. As a matter of fact, you know, I think you also touched on that there's a lot of uh, speculation that interest rate could be dropping towards later this year, which would then spark further demand for property. So I think as a smart investor, people will start be looking at how can I beat the rest of the people or the, you know, before I can set myself up in terms of getting something while the market is not crazily hot, uh, as opposed to when interest rate starts going down and everyone wants to buy, buy, buy at that point. So uh, maybe not. So that's what we're seeing. But um, yeah, no, it's good to good to see. Now, where where are where are the investors looking at at the moment? Could you give us a few suburbs in terms of the the popular ones? Yeah, definitely. It's very much more all over the place than it was prior to COVID, and okay. and a really clear reason for that is prior to COVID, people bought in Logan to diversify their cash flow poor portfolios. Right. Um, they weren't expecting capital growth; they just wanted. Um, strong yields. Now the yields, despite the rents having gone out up dramatically, the prices have gone up even more so and so have the interest rates. So the yields, whilst in comparison to elsewhere, the yields are still good, they're not cash flow positive anymore. Um, so people aren't buying for the same reasons. Um, to that end, definitely more people buying higher quality property, quality they can add value to. Um, a lot of a lot more new builds, um, I think. Okay. Definitely. And I guess to a point that may be um, to do with to a degree some connections we've made, but 
not I mean I, I'm still getting I'd say twice as many proportionately people calling me saying I'm building a new property who haven't necessarily been referred through those sorts of channels than, than I would have prior to COVID. Mm. Um, and I think I know on property chat, new builds generally come through marketers and, and a lot of people are not fans of them. I think depending on where and how you buy them, they may or may not be a good idea. Um, a lot of these people are having great experiences even if they didn't buy terribly well with the way the market's moving, they have they end up having a great experience either way. Yeah. Um. So definitely lots of lots of buying in new areas. Um. Lots of sort of moderate to quality house purchases. Not a lot of people um wanting to spend a lot of money on the houses right now. I think even the people who are buying who have the equity don't necessarily have huge reserves of cash lying around right. so there's i'm definitely not getting a lot of fixer operas and i dare say as well the fixer operas are just not selling for compa- uh, competitive prices I de- some of them there was um a couple recently sold uh many of you would would have noticed with with great publicity in um Crestmead and brown's plains um sold by a, a lovely local sales agent Corey. um outrageous prices on these absolute rip out and rebuilds um just not seeing value in those like like they had been previously. Mm-hmm. Um, so from a property manager's point of view, people buying better, I shouldn't say better quality, higher renting properties that need less maintenance has been fantastic because um, I think people are looking at it as a dual purpose. We want capital growth and a reasonable cash flow moving yeah. into the future. That's a significant difference in terms of when we were looking at the market, like you mentioned, back in 2016, 2017, when Logan was a pure yield play. Mm. As opposed to now, people looking at more of a capital growth or a balanced play in, in that, which is interesting. Now, with the new builds that you mentioned, um, whereabouts are the suburbs? Like, because are they still like block of lands that's vacant land that's being released at the moment? Where are they buying those block of lands and where they're building? Yeah, naturally, um, being that we're based in Logan Reserve, we're seeing a lot in Logan Reserve, Park Ridge. Logan Reserve. Um, yeah. mm-hmm. There's a little bit, Logan Village has got a new development coming up. Um, Bars Scrub, there's a big development. That's actually where we've bought. We love it. There's a lot going on there. Okay. Um, uh, little infill blocks around the place as well. We've had people buying around Bayside where it's not really a huge availability of land, but I think there's a real incentive for people at the moment if they have some sort of land to turn it into a development. So it's not necessarily all focused on the big master planned areas like Yarra, Bilbo, Ripley, Flagstone. Certainly yep. those are kicking along well anyway. Um, Green Bank as well. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, there's there's the building industry has started to write itself. Um, houses are being built back in reasonable timeframes again. You know, I can have a house finished in four months, whereas over COVID it could take a year. Yep. Um, and prices... Prices are still outrageous for for the construction, the labour, et cetera. But it, look, the, the houses are valuing up because the finished product is worth so much more than it was before. So um, it's becoming a more attractive proposition again. Um, and you're right, the limiting factor is is on where the land can be found. Yeah, yeah. And what sort of what sort of uh, building are they doing? Are they because I know Southeast Queensland always have the um, what was it called um, dual occupancy type of yeah properties are they the are they currently the favorites because of the fact you know you spend i don't know i'm just rough figures putting straight out there say 400 350k for dual occupancy brand new build 
And whereas you can rent out maybe $600 or even $700 per week on that. Is that the popular ones amongst the investors now at the moment? Or what, what are they building? Are they just building a single level? There's a mix. There's so a mix. Um, traditionally around here, the block, the it's more expensive to build a two-story than it is to, to buy a bigger block to fit a single story. So all single story. Um, I mean, I've seen some two stories being built around the place, but I don't think that they're predominantly for investors. Mm. Um, single story, four bed, two bath, double lock up. Interestingly noticed an improvement in general fit and finish um, and features, not dramatically, but just like just little things, frameless shower screens, good quality air conditioners, just little bits and pieces that seem to be people are paying a little bit more now. Um, and I I suppose builders may be trying to improve their inclusions to be competitive. Um, definitely still lots of dual locks, but less so than before. I think that naturally comes back to um, people will build the traditional family homes because they've got better capital growth prospects, whereas a dual lock will almost always be tied to its viability as an investment. Um, same goes for granny flats, which fall under the same legislation as a dual lock. Um they uh, I've they have become much more expensive to build than they were. But whereas pre-COVID a, a two-bed granny flat was achieving 290 to 300 a week, they're now achieving up to 450. Um, so particularly for people who already hold a block of a viable block of land, they're becoming um a good option to increase cash flow again. And God only knows right now, many of us would like more cash flow. Absolutely. So Definitely just a, just a mix of things. Um, dual locks are all construction is massively more expensive than it was prior to COVID, but the rents are better. Um, your average four bedroom house prior to COVID for a brand new build was about 400 a week. Now you're looking at 600. For mm -hmm. the dual locks, um, they're five to 550 for a three bed side and four to 450 for a two bed side. So um, funnily enough, when you look at them side by side, the cash flow and the dual locks is hugely better than on the single houses right. i've also seen people there's a spate of people building rooming accommodation properties around i have not seen people have a lot of luck with those so far oh, really? um, okay. as you can imagine the kind of people who want to live in rooming accommodation in logan there's just not a great pool of quality tenants for that at this point i think that comes with the gentrification improvements in um, the types of work out here, the um, public transport's probably a big one. Rooming yep. accommodation works beautifully in Brisbane, you know, in more expensive and more accessible areas. Yep. Out here so far, uh, I've had a couple of clients who've, who've said that it's not going amazingly for them so far. It's And that can be a very variable experience. Mm, interesting. Yeah, I think it comes down to the demographics, as you mentioned, mm. um, as well, right? So, um, yeah, um, I'm not too sure how, whether given the number of cases that the properties could be trashed and how much damage the, the you know, unfortunately, demographic side of things could do to the to the properties. You know, there might be more up cost maintenance issues with rooming houses. So it's how how frequently they change, right? It's just yeah, it's a lot There's more a lot frequent, more work involved. A lot more work involved. So yeah, no, that, but that's a good point. Okay, so. But dual occupancy, okay, so just out of curiosity, how much does it take to build a dual occupancy now in Southeast Queensland? Just a standard build and average rough figures. In Logan Reserve, and I will just ask my business partner to overhear me here, um, I think a dual lock at the moment to build is around 800. 
is that so is that including land or is it just the actual build is including land yeah including land okay okay so land plus uh a duoc basically completed product um turnkey um for 800k yeah. and how much would that rent for a uh, in logan reserve once completed in today's markets by the time that was finished in today's market you'd become comfortably achieving a thousand a week in rent mm, combined okay. so the yield's still not terrible particularly the if the rates come down true true okay i can see why there's certainly a market for that uh, for that type of particular product um, especially for those people chasing yield now um as well mm. so okay mm, interesting okay uh that's great and um you being a property manager uh obviously you're seeing tendencies uh all the time one thing I've been wanting to ask you is, has Logan actually started gentrifying so far? Because we all know that the likes of Logan Central, Kingston, Woodridge, they are unfortunately not the best demographic types that we can see. Now, you know, like my my properties used to rent out maybe around 350 per week, and now it's pushing more towards the 500 at the moment. Um, so I can't see how those lower social demographic tenants can afford to keep up with those increasing in rents. So are you currently seeing better quality tenants even across the lower social demographic areas like likes of Logan Central, Woodridge and Kingston? Yeah. So if we, to as far as visual evidence of gentrification, I don't know if I just have rose-coloured glasses for the whole of Logan, but I can't say that I've seen a huge amount of difference. Okay. Um, as far as our experience with tenants, definitely over the last three years, purely because of the rental shortage, we've had substantially more people applying for each property, yeah. um, which has resulted in the landlords being able to cherry pick the best of the applicants. And where I don't want to rank people, but effectively on paper, people who have sub sufficient income um, and real estate rental history, um, even in, let's say, for example, the houses that were most attractive to the struggling demographic would have been, let's say, a two-bedroom townhouse in Logan Central or surrounds. Mm -hmm. We're still easily able to achieve a strong rent in a reasonable time frame to someone who has um, plenty of income and rental history indicating they take great care of houses. So we're effectively considering them to be a very, very low risk applicant. And in the majority of cases, those tenants are fantastic. So as far as assuming that other agents are doing the same things we're doing, that would be having the effect of gentrifying the area. Mm. Um, as for, I guess, where, and if we're to talk about people who don't necessarily look as attractive on paper, people who... And this, this is two categories. You've got red flags, people who don't have sufficient income and people who have poor rental history. Yep. Then you've got sort of, I don't know what you'd call it, no flag. Um, people who are moving out of home for the first time um, don't have it, or, or even people who've rented privately, mm. they're also really struggling um, because every house within a couple of weeks is just going to get that perfect paper tenant. Um anyone who doesn't have that is struggling and there's not really anywhere for them to go either. Um, Bow Desert, for example, is 400 a week plus. It's expensive. Ipswich is nearly the same price as Logan. We're not necessarily getting prices radiate outward from the city, which traditionally would push poor demographics further out. I, I honestly, I mean, when they talk about this housing crisis, it, there's, it genuinely is. Um, I don't know where these people would be going. 
Um, so I suppose a lot of, there's a lot of Department of Housing um, help at the moment. It's, Logan Housing Centre has been unreal helping people with funds um, in this kind of market while they get back on their feet. Um, so there's there's a lot of, there's people who've got, who are taking care of houses but have tight affordability who are hanging around. Um, but I think over time, you're definitely going to see a, what would you call it? Just a, a I guess, a wealthier um, occupant in the area. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So, so, so basically with more stability in terms of income, with better affordability coming mm. in, because, you know, those are what the landlords would prefer um, in that case. Um, and I guess the lower social demographic, which is continuing to seek help from the housing commission, um, side of things to 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 find residents. Are you seeing a lot more homelessness around the area at the moment? Um, just anecdotal. Yeah. You are. There's um you'll see articles on the tent cities. Um, you know, people living permanently in camping sites. It, mm. It's it's absolutely. Um, as as far as I'm aware, in my not not long time on on this earth, the worst homeless crisis we've had in in. Uh, maybe fifty years. Um. And Department of Housing is doing their best, but um, with such a limited number of um, Department of Housing properties at, available right now, and a shortage of builders to build new properties, you know, we, there was some talk on some um, national policy on building new property, and and absolutely nowhere near um, enough new residences as a safety net for people who are at risk of homelessness. Um, there's nothing. There doesn't seem to be any immediate solution to it. I think it's the same. It's the same conversation I had with uh, one of the buyers agents in Perth um, as well. They're having exactly the same issue, you know, just not building enough in order to house uh, enough people, um, and that there's no immediate solution either. Unfortunately, there's, yeah, there's no mm. quick fixes. Um, there's yeah, the the building rate is construction rate at the moment is at a, uh, one of the historical lows right now in terms of new constructions um, across the board. So. Yeah, it's a bit of an unfortunate fact, but, um, you know, I think it's, uh, yeah, it, it is one of those things that the poorer, the poorer tenants and demographics is just going to continue to get pushed out and seeking more help whilst, um, you know, uh, as we continue, as, as rent continues to go up, um, obviously the wealthier tenants will be then moving in uh, in that case. So uh, whilst I feel very sorry for those, uh, unfortunately, but um, yeah. Hopefully they can stood on their feet and um and be able to go. Yeah, That's, uh, we're getting more people living in um living together, multi generational housing. You know, go back home to mom. Um, yeah. but at the same time too, we found particularly in the last six months, rents have in certain spots stalled, in other spots um stopped increasing um at the same rate that they were previously. Mm. So, and I mean, everyone would have seen that coming. It had to slow down at some point. It is still going up, um, but nowhere near as fast as it was, particularly in the affordable areas. You know, we, we talk about that whole concept of a growth radiates outwards from the capital. That didn't happen um, this time. The, the most affordable properties um, ratcheted up much faster. Um, to the point where, for example, uh, a two-bedroom townhouse in Logan Central was renting for as low as 230 a week prior to COVID. It's now achieving 400 a week. Um, and 400 a week has become the bare minimum rent for 
what we can achieve for a property in Logan, regardless of the quality. At the same time, though, your average three bed, um, generally a low set, maybe a weatherboard, maybe a brick, um, regardless of where it is in Logan, assuming you're not on the the fancy side of the highway, so yeah. not Springwood, except right so that's side. a different mm-hmm. story. Those properties are worth five hundred a week. Um, really nice ones will push over. Um, really poor ones will be a little under, but on average five hundred. And they've been somewhat stuck there for a while now. Um, four bed low sets, um, older homes maybe have a single garage. You know, not super full of features for their type. Five fifty a week, brand new builds six hundred a week, and those prices have been stuck there since maybe July to August last year. We were expecting to see um, the big January jump. um, And we have to a degree seen the prices start to push over those sticky spots, um, but not as much as I was hoping. Um, Certainly this January has been less hectic um, than the last two have been. And funnily enough, we actually, we were very much over-prepared for this January, expecting it just in case it was as crazy as it's been. Mm. Um, and for example, on my my first Saturday, which is the busiest weekend of the year, I had on average five to six groups at each viewing. Um, down from last year, probably 15 plus groups at each viewing. Yeah, wow. Okay. Okay. Yeah. But we're still seeing good increases in prices, good quality tenants, reasonable timeframes for leasing. So yep. it's got the marks of the slowdown, but not necessarily any cause for concern for yep. investors. Yeah. Okay. So, so in other words, I guess the 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 rate of increase in terms of the rent has now started to slow. Uh, Still increasing, to... but more slowly. That's right. Yeah. Okay. 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 Yeah. All right. Okay. What about the prices? Um, I'm not sure whether you've been keeping tabs of the sold prices recently um, around the Logan areas. Are they still selling at a crazy price, or is, are those just starting to become the like you know the unicorns, um, whereas the rest of the other ones are more kind of in line with the sales prices? As far as I'm aware, sale prices just keep shooting upwards, um, and it's funny sales and rents aren't always in line with each other. Um, to a point, people will try to tie them together. Um, really good example is over the last last three years, particularly clients who already owned their own properties, were happy to take advantage of the rapid rate of increase in market rent, but were generally somewhat sympathetic with the tenants about the rent that they'd offer. So for example, the tenants paying 420 a week, the market rents 500, the landlord would offer it to them at 480. Now, this year, and I found the vast majority of my clients have come off their fixed rates. Right, yes. landlords are asking for market rent, if not higher, which has caused some discussions um, <laughs> that in that discussion. in that same scenario, the landlord would be asking for 500 to 520. And I might have to say to them, we can't ask 520. It's above market rate. Right. But it, um, a lot of the tenants still understand. And the majority of landlords have pointed out, look, even, even if you were to pay 600 a week for this house, I'm still in a worse financial position because the rates have gone up so drastically. Right. Yes. Um, but definitely when we talk about that slowdown in rent increases, we've now got a horde of starving landlords pushing that up. Um, and I mean, ultimately we are controlled by supply and demand, but I think the general um, sentiment of I need more rent um, may help drive further growth particularly um, 
given that we still have a shortage, um, I'd like to I'd like to think that wage growth is coming. Um, there's a lot of industries that are so far behind. Mm. Um, and naturally, I mean, is this this the definition of inflation? As the wages go up, the properties will become more affordable to these people, which will drive the rents up. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. No, that's interesting. Look, I think uh, certainly I think that gives us um, a bit more context in terms of what's happening on the Southeast Queensland corridor. Um, the property investors are certainly a lot more active nowadays, um, even though, as you said, I mean, logically thinking because of the high rate environment and the rental that we're currently getting, it's still going to be negative in terms of their cash flow. Uh, but mm -hmm. I think a lot of people are buying in not just because of the yield anymore, but it's more of a balanced approach you know they're looking for capital growth whilst still be able to maintain a relatively affordable gross rental yield so it's not too difficult to keep the property um for long term um so that's i think that's uh would you say that's a kind of like a a good summary of what you're seeing at the moment yeah i think as well there's a lot of um a lot of people and now that we've been talking about it for a minute it's occurred to me a lot of my clients that are buying recently have uh, a borrowing capacity that won't potentially stretch into the million dollars plus for a, uh, you know, an inner or middle ring Brisbane City Council yeah. property. Yes. But they've got FOMO and probably rightly so. You know, if we don't spend our six to 700 now that we have, um, that's going to become an eight to 900 and we'll miss out. So I think a lot of people buying around these areas now too are not necessarily buying because they wanted logan or or ipswich or morton shire or or specifically um it's it's purely because this is the best property that they can afford um yeah. at this time affordability yeah and definitely you know like i look at people's financials every day and i can tell you know the, the borrowing capacity just keeps on shrinking as we had that 4.25 percent mm. of the cash rate in the last 18 months so so yes you know you need a good rental yield in order to be able to even borrow to up to the amount and most people will be stretched uh, in terms of what they can get nowadays so it's not surprising that affordability corridors at the moment are continuously to still going up because yes investors can still afford it and owner occupiers can still afford it so naturally speaking that's what's going to go but you know the upper ends the million dollars near the brisbane's and you know that's the ones that's uh, currently probably not moving as much um, until perhaps the rates relax a bit more and people's borrowing capacity comes back a little bit more. So um, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. No, that's good. Thank you. Um, and being a property manager, I do have to ask you, is there anything that um, as a, the landlords for Southeast Queensland should be aware of in regards to any recent legislation changes that's already set in stone so far? There's a lot going on at the moment. Okay. So as for what's been set in stone so far, um, I think it's stage one rental reforms. Mm -hmm. I can't remember the numbers. Um, DV laws, um, it's a streamlined process to allow victims of domestic violence to get out of those situations. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, it does also create a corridor for people to take advantage of that. Um, Look, the for, for genuine victims of DV, it, it's necessary. It is what it is. But it does mean that it is more important than ever for landlords to have landlords insurance because realistically that is quality landlords insurance is the best way to protect you in those sorts of situations. Um, you're not going to be 
um, in a situation where you're encouraged to put undue pressure on someone escaping a difficult situation who may not have left your house in the condition that they otherwise should have, um, you'd be purely able to lean on your insurance and move on. Um, the minimum standards, um, this is really interesting. So section 185 of the Residential Tenancy Act states that properties must at commencement of the tenancy and um, whilst the tenancy continues um, be provided in a clean um, and well-maintained manner. That probably 50 words um, is the entire, up until minimum standards came into effect, was the entire section of legislation that um, governed how well you maintained your property. Um, obviously, you've got little bits of case law, you've got common sense, you've got little bits like the Queensland Fire and Safety Act, we'll talk about smoke alarms. But as a general rule, you know, am I allowed to provide a leaky shack? Or does it need to be um, a beautiful mansion was governed by this very, very small piece of legislation. Minimum standards effectively clarify some of that. Um, it, I think for the vast majority of us, we were already adhering to it automatically. You know, your kitchen must contain cooking appliances and they must work. Um, if the house contains appliances such as air conditioners, they must work. A lot of this stuff was already implied, um, but not stated in legislation. The couple of things we've noticed that were key is that windows must have functional handles. We've had houses that have potentially have had handles break over the last decade and no one's really noticed or cared. Um, small things that need to be fixed. Curtains must be in all areas where they would be reasonably expected to be. Appreciate the clarity on that. There's arguments at the moment as to what areas are reasonable for curtains to be provided. We uh, we so enjoy being the most over-regulated rental market in the world and yet still full of grey areas. Um, yeah, lo lots of little things like that. Um, and I think that that's really good. I almost feel like it should go further because as a property manager, it would really help us to be able to tell a client, you know, instead of saying it is reasonable to provide curtains to the landlords, we can say it is a legal requirement. Um, and to be honest, there's not a single thing in there that I feel like would put undue pressure on a landlord. Um, I know Victoria, for example, has got some quite rigorous testing and safety standards that some people have suggested are putting pressure on landlords that price pressures that are maybe not warranted in a market where affordability is on show. Um, I think the minimum standards in Queensland were quite well considered and definitely not over the top. Um, we also saw the end of the notice to leave without grounds following our southern neighbours. Um, that was terrifying for a time there. We didn't think there was going to be a replacement and it effectively meant if you had those kinds of tenants that knew how to play the game, you'd be stuck with them forever. Um, Obviously, if you've got someone who's badly not paying rent, who's badly ruining the house, who's who's badly acting objectionably, there are still um, grounds to achieve vacant possession. But there's there's those grey areas where you might have a tenant who's just causing a little bit of a problem everywhere, particularly the ones who know how to play the game and avoid being evicted. Um, those tenants you can you could have been trapped with. Um, the REIQ has successfully lobbied to have a form of notice to leave retained called uh, notice to leave for end of fixed term tenancy. Um, basically, coming to the end of a fixed term, the landlord is legally entitled to vacant possession without providing a reason that, say, the tenant has breached the property. Or actually, also, if um, if they need to move in or if they're selling the property, there's, there's grounds as well. Um, 
this gives a little more flexibility. And although I, I fully acknowledge from the tenant's point of view that if someone is, is unethical, that these sorts of things can be misused, which is entirely why that, that provision was limited. Um, I think it's really important for landlords who are doing the right thing to have that capability. Um, that does mean that for anyone whose agents in Queensland are processing their lease renewals, you absolutely must have that notice to leave for end of fixed term tenancy sent before the fixed term expires onto a periodic period. Um, otherwise, you lose the ability to do that because there is no comparable notice provided for tenancies, which are periodic. Yeah, right. Um, there are other reforms coming in next year. I won't talk about them because they're a little bit up in the air at the moment and we don't have a lot of clarity on exactly what they will look like. Um, but I, for everything that we've seen so far, it all looks like it's pretty positive. It doesn't look like it's necessarily over the top. It's certainly not the crazy stamp duty reform um, that was quashed um, some time ago. Actually, on that note, um, there was also, I'm sure everyone's already aware of it, that Queenslanders are now no longer able to increase rent more often than every 12 months. Right. Um, we're in the period where we're moving over that um, obviously we were doing a lot of six month tenancies. We're doing less so of them now, but we've got quite a number of rents because it was backwards um, and forced that can't increase now when we expected them to. Mm. I think personally, the effect of that was that the landlords wanted more rent sooner. I think it was really short-sighted, um, but I think we'll settle into the new normal in the next six months and that will just become part and parcel of how we um it, it ultimately it does create a sense of stability. I think a lot of landlords are more inclined to offer longer leases because of it. So, Palaszczuk, there's something positive about your policies. I don't think it's all bad by the sounds of it, to be honest, especially the yeah. clarification. The, the, the stage one reform certainly clarified a lot of things which were which sounded a lot grey than previously. I mean, it's it just it just gets it gets a bit less gray um i mean it's still gray right like you, you can't say yeah. like what's what's reasonable ground like everyone's reasonable interpretation is different to that degree but at least i think it's heading into the right direction um in that sense yeah. and, and, it, and it still feels like it's uh yeah it's protecting tenants which is perfectly fine you know we can we can certainly understand uh that um and uh, yeah, with the uh uh one-time rent increase within 12 months limit that's being the case for New South Wales as well. Um, so, you know, yeah. I think it, and, and as you said, it provides stability. I think more landlords will be keen to actually provide a 12 months lease now than a six months lease um, and then look at bumping it up within that six months. So, you know, um, absolutely to, to that degree might not necessarily be a bad thing. So, um, yeah. Okay. Fantastic. All right. Um, and just mindful of the time, Tom. Obviously, I know you've got uh, you got you got to rush at some point. Um, but um, what are your what are your thoughts on the Southeast Queensland market this year? Um, are you are you thinking? Are you seeing that? Do you think that the price is going to continue to go up uh, in terms of the properties in SEQ? And what are your thoughts on the rent uh, side of things? Just curious to know your two cents. Yeah, I think from a sales point of view, things that continue to increase are going to continue to increase at a strong pace. Mm. Um, they um, they will increase uh, more so if the rates are limited or um, come down. And I understand there are some wider market conditions which um, may force rates to stabilise or reduce, even though we have a really hot property market. 
Um, so that'll be one to really keep an eye on. Um, as far as rents go, I'm a little unsure. I'm confident that they will continue increasing and they will not go backwards. But as far as the pace to which they continue increasing, if I had to guess, I would think that we would see a steady slow pace like we've seen for the last six months. Yeah. But I wouldn't be surprised if there was some sort of economic um, anomaly or effect um, that's that causes them to, to sort of increase again. Um, and I'm I take confidence in not being able to provide a really certain prediction because we think back to everyone thought we'd have a recession following COVID. So even the the wisest people in the world um, don't necessarily know exactly what's going to happen. So definitely confident that sales um, will continue kicking on hard. Um, but I think the yields are probably going to continue to degrade um, because sales is likely to push faster than rents, yes. which quite frankly um, is not really anything to complain about anyway. Um, I think most people would be quite happy to swap some yield for capital growth. That's true. Yep. Yep. Uh, very different play now in Southeast Queensland slash Logan mm. area for 2024, as opposed to 2016, 2017, when I was looking at those areas. So absolutely. But yeah, look, I do agree with you. I'm happy to see some capital growth in the properties that's around the SEQ. Um, although obviously if rent can go up um, as well, then that's going to help us alleviate the amount of uh, repayments, which is literally doubled or, you know, like, yeah, uh, the interest rates. Absolutely. It's People great. were going from 2% to 8%. Um, so in some cases, more than double as they come off their fixed rates. Mm -hmm. That's right. Cool. All right. No, thank you. Thank you, Tom. I appreciate it. And uh, you guys still taking on new clients, I'm assuming? Yeah, absolutely. I um I always make a point. We we don't actively market. I'm, I'm not spending time sort of growing the business. I spend time... Um, servicing existing clients we always make sure that we're effectively overstaffed because um, i think it's really important to make sure that you're doing a good job for the people who've already entrusted you to deal with them um and i mean as long as we're doing a good job for those people they tell their friends and family um and then i, I get phone calls and that's that's all i can ask for i'm super appreciative um and definitely um in a position to take on new clients that's good. Yeah. And that's the right way of keeping the business growing as well, you know, through word of mouth and referral, which is the stronger ways, strongest way in terms of growing the business. Um, and how could, uh, if any of our listeners interested to reaching out, how can they reach out to you? Um, quite frankly, you guys are welcome to reach out however you would like to. Phone number, uh, my email address is um, on Property Chat on my website, um, wherever I've, I've plastered it over the internet. Um, <laughs> the the welcome email on the website comes straight to me as well so we're not a large organization where your your contact is going to get lost in an administrative mess it will come straight to me either way um whatsapp's also welcome for anyone who might be watching from overseas um perfect yeah okay. pretty well yeah i i'm accessible via any any means that's good. That's good. And we like and we like that. You know, I think when a property management agency grows too quickly, that's the issue, right? The owner gets bombarded and then, you know, it feels like, uh, you know, you get shoved onto the next PM and the next PM and the next PM, it feels like a revolving door. So it's good that good to know that Property Works Queensland maintained to have you as still the main person who's guiding the ship and uh, you're across all your client bases. So fantastic, fantastic. Thank you, Tom. Um, and once again, uh, that's Tom Rivera from Property Works. For anyone who's uh, interested in reaching out, feel free to Google him on the internet. Um, but otherwise, um, have a good day. And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll catch you again, Tom, in um, 
next time uh, for another update on Queensland. Perfect. Thank you very much, David. It's been a pleasure. Thanks, Tom. Cheers, mate. If you have any questions or feedback about today's episode, you can reach out to us through sparkyourfirepodcast at gmail.com. That's sparkyourfirepodcast, all one word, at gmail.com. Also, the content discussed in this episode is general in nature. Please seek specific advice from qualified professionals in regards to your personal situation.